We continue our series from the book of Luke. Uh, this is a very interesting uh, section from the Bible where we hear from Jesus himself at age 12 speaking of himself. So um, hear these words uh, from the Lord. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The word of the Lord. Well, I want to talk a little bit about identity, this, uh, this uh, sermon series. Um, uh, it's interesting how much identity uh, one can have or documents of identity. I was going through my wallet. Uh, you know, I don't know if your wallet continues to fatten uh, uh, for guys and sooner or later you have to go through it or there will be chiropractic issues. And so it was a little spring cleaning for me and I keep on pulling out these identification cards. My gym identification card, my uh, frequent flyer miles identification card and so on and so on and so on. You know, when I go in someplace and I want to buy something, even with a credit card, what's the question they ask? We want to see some ID. And as, as a matter of fact, depending on the ID that you have, depends on the different places you can get into, right? If you have the right credentials. And so I've created a host of credentials because I want to go ahead and basically be able to get in anywhere I like. And so these are a host of passports that I have created. Um, these aren't all of them. I actually have several in a bank vault in Europe, uh, in Zurich. In fact, I have some more over here. Uh, they're, they're all over the place, actually. Host of passports. So, for instance, let's see here. If I want to uh, be, this is mine of, of Michael Jordan. Uh, if I want to uh, be the basketball player Michael Jordan, I can be him. Uh, if I want to be Warren Buffett, if I want to go ahead and grab uh, Annette Jets, I can go ahead and do that. Uh, let's see, this is Tim Tebow. Uh, this is Speaker of the House here. See, I have different, even different pictures of myself. Uh, you know, you can look like anybody that you want, really, if you take enough time. Sometimes I even uh, resemble a woman, uh, if I have to. Or even a, um, a, a small child, if I have to. Such are my powers of persuasion. Passports upon passports upon passports. Identity is critical. And that's why we have this thing we call identity theft now, right? Used to be nobody could steal your name, create a new identity out of your documents, but it's a serious problem, this identity theft. I want to talk about identity and I want to talk about Jesus. 
Because this passage is really all about Jesus attesting to his identity. All through the last six sermons, we've been seeing in Jesus' birth narrative of all of these people assigning Jesus' identity, exclaiming, proclaiming who he is. Whether it's the shepherds, or the angels, or the prophets Simeon and Anna, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph, the angel Gabriel, everyone has been speaking of who this person Jesus is. But this is the first time that Jesus speaks. All these people have said who Jesus is. Now it's Jesus' turn to say who I am. It's one thing for other people to assign you identity. It's, the one thing, it's another thing for you to stand up and say, yes, indeed, this is who I am. See, the truth of the matter is people commit identity theft with Jesus all the time. They assign to him an identity which is false. Maybe more comfortable for them, more socially acceptable, but it isn't his true identity. And so here we have this very strange passage sandwiched in between Jesus as the baby and Jesus beginning his ministry at age 33, where at age 12, the one time we have him speaking between these two things, he gets up and communicates who he is. And the manner in which he does it is so strange. It's not simply what he says, it's how he says it. Pretty much brings astonishment from everybody who encounters it. Jesus, what he's communicating about his identity, he's communicating to his parents, he's communicating to the Sanhedrin, and he's communicating to you and me. And so Jesus gives his identity. And the question is, the opportunity is we get to choose. Will we receive it? Or will we lay on him a different identity? An identity of the world, an identity of what we choose. But not the identity of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is God's son. And how you identify Jesus affects everything about who you are your identity, and your destiny. Well, this way in which Jesus reveals himself, he does so in uh, three specific ways. He's communicating three different things about his identity. Number one, he talks about his identity. Who am I? Number two, he talks about his ministry. Why am I here? My identity leads to my ministry. And then finally, number three, he reveals his destiny. The reason I'm here is to do this. What I am saying right here, you will see played out in my life all the way until the end. So Jesus shows us his identity and his ministry and his destiny. Jesus has spoken. My challenge for you is to answer the question, who do you say that he is? Well, let's look at this passage starting at Luke 2.42. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom. Now as Israelites, they were supposed to, or it had been, there were three different feasts in Jerusalem, uh, marking different times in the Jewish calendar. Two were tied together, the Feast of Weeks and uh, Passover. And these two kind of were on bookends with one another. And so common custom was at least once a year, you were supposed to go up and worship and offer sacrifice. Now the women didn't have to do it. The children didn't have to do it. The man had to do it representing the family. And yet it appears that the whole family here went up. Jesus, uh, Mary, and Joseph. They were going to the temple. 
the dwelling place of God. If you remember in the Old Testament where Jesus said, my name would dwell, my presence would be here in this temple. My uh, heaven would intersect with earth, if you will, in this nexus, this place called the temple. And so Jesus goes up at the age of 12. You know, at, at the age of 12, uh, uh, the Hebrew law said that someone could be taught the vows, a boy could be taught the vows, but he would not be expected to uh, uh, live by them until age 13. In other words, this is kind of the last shot uh, a father giving wisdom to his son because the next year he is responsible for himself before God. So that's probably why Joseph brought him up. Now how they got there, it was from Nazareth, which was about 88 miles from Jerusalem. And because that was a dangerous route to go from there to there, from Nazareth, you either had to go through Samaria or around Samaria. The way they usually traveled was the community would travel together, almost like a caravan from your specific locality because there was strength in numbers. And so they traveled by caravan up to Jerusalem. Now, his parents, Mary and Joseph, for 12 years really hadn't heard anything directly from God about Jesus. Remember the fireworks in the beginning? The angels, the shepherds, the wise men, who probably came around age two a little bit later, but since then it had been relatively quiet. I wonder what life was like watching Jesus grow up. I'm sure it had to be different. You know, each of us, as we look at our children, we're sometimes amazed at them as we see their personality emerging. But there's no indication that they know anything special is going to happen. So they all go up and they stay there for the feast. And the scriptures say, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents did not know it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think automatically, what kind of negligent parents are these? Right? Where's my kid? I don't know. But we need to understand that it truly did take a village to raise a child back then. Okay, there were relatives, there were friends, the whole community had gone. Jesus was within the community. And so they did what every uh, parent does. They made sure that everybody was there. They looked, Jesus is in the caravan. Okay, we're going home. Now, never in their wildest mind did they think to themselves that Jesus would not continue walking with everybody else. So maybe they went to a specific, you know, the kids ran off over here, but it's everybody in the same place. They're all going in the same direction. And so this isn't negligent as you, as you and I would think it. But what's amazing about this caravan is as the caravan goes, Jesus doesn't. The parents look around, okay, Jesus is here, okay, but, but all right, let's go. And Jesus just kind of stands there. He doesn't lie, he doesn't get lost, he simply stands there in such a way that nobody really sees him. No one would think a 12-year-old would stay there. I mean, home is over there. Your parents are going over there. Think about it. Jesus has no money. He has no place to sleep. As far as we can tell, he doesn't really know anyone there. And yet he just stays there. Don't see any stress or anxiety or anything. 
for that matter. What kind of 12-year-old does this? He doesn't get lost, he just doesn't go. Why does Jesus do this? He feels safe. He doesn't feel threatened or worried. You see, Jesus has another house. And Jesus has another father. And while the family is going home, Jesus has already come home. This is really a sort of homecoming, isn't it? Jesus is as comfortable there in Jerusalem as anywhere. He doesn't struggle with who will protect me, who will support me, because his father is there as well. And he is in home, uh, he is home in the presence of his father. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. From the beginning of time, the Son had been with the Father. There was peace in that relationship. There was no fear. He knew that God was there. He was back near where he belonged, at the side of the Father. And so he simply stays and walks over. After three days, they found him in the temple. Think about that. Okay, three days. So they usually start a journey when? In the beginning of the day, just like we do. Got to go 80 miles, usually 20 miles a day. Okay, so they go the first day, all day. They get to the end. No Jesus. This is when the freaking out begins. Okay? Turn around the next day. They come back. It takes a whole nother day to come back. Jesus has slept somewhere for two days and eaten somehow for two days. And then finally on the third day, they find Jesus sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The parents are astonished. This word could be translated bewildered or ticked off as well. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been looking for you. You ever pulled that one, moms, by the way? Your father and I have been looking for you. They rebuke Jesus. And what's astounding is Jesus rebukes them. Twice. Why were you looking for me? What do you mean, why were we looking for you? You're our son. We're your parents. Really what he's saying is, why are you so upset or bewildered at what you're seeing right now? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Nobody said my father's house. If you look at the Mishnah and the Talmud and all the rabbinical writings, he was the father of Israel. He could have been our father, but he wasn't my father. And yet Jesus says it as simply as my child would say of me. I must be in my father's house. See, Jesus is treating the temple like it's his home. He's got his feet propped up. Very, very comfortable. This is my house. Now I think we understand why he drives out the money changers later, right? How dare you turn my father's house, you know, into this marketplace. I must be here. In other words, mom and dad, this is where I belong. Yes, I know that you're my parents. But my relationship with my heavenly father trumps yours. Because I've been your you've been my parents for 12 years. But 
The Heavenly Father has been my Father from eternity. I am the only begotten Son. Didn't you know? See, it was a case of mistaken identity. His parents didn't recognize him. The world didn't recognize him. Even often we don't recognize him. Just came back from my uh, uh, in-law's house. They live in Roanoke. They live in uh, Boone's Mill, uh, the cultural capital of Virginia. Uh, and they have a house in a mountain, kind of out, on a mountain outside of town. And it's this beautiful, beautiful house uh, on the side of a mountain. And it's, you know, beautiful view. And it's just fantastic. And, uh, you know, I love my in-laws. I would unhesitatingly say they are the best in-laws in the house. You hear that? Best in-laws. Scoring points. Uh, and, and they make me feel so at home and comfortable there. But the truth of the matter is it's not my home. You ever been the guest in someone else's home? Even maybe in-laws? There's, there's a sense of, yes, I belong here, but in a certain way. Liel and I were saying as we traveled back and were able to sleep in our own bed and to be, you know, in our own home, wow, it is good to be home. See, everybody else was treated, were feeling like guests in the temple because they were. But Jesus was very, very secure in, in his identity. Mom and Dad, where else did you think I would be? Of course I must be in my father's house. We all attach identity to Jesus. So what's yours? He's a nice guy. He's a great teacher. We can learn a lot from him. Maybe he's more like the tooth fairy. When I need him, he's there. He comes out of nowhere. Maybe he's the genie in the bottle. When I need something, I open it. I pray and I expect some sort of result. But Jesus is none of those things. And so we must recognize the identity he assigns to himself. He does not exist for me. His identity is greater than me. So we must believe his identity. We must change our expectation of this one called Jesus. And we must follow him so we do not receive his rebuke. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Well, this brings me to my second point. Jesus reveals his identity and then he reveals his ministry. The ministry that only the Son of God could give. Why were you searching, me, he, uh, searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? If you translated this, in my father's house, in the Greek, it literally would be translated, in the things of my father. Now that would mean in my father's house, but it goes even further than that, doesn't it? See, when Mary and Joseph come and they find Jesus, they don't find him sort of in, repo in repose, sitting on a chair in his father's house. He's actually doing something, isn't he? See, he's doing something. It says that they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. See, Jesus is there for a purpose, to be in the things of his Father. Constantly, Jesus said, for instance, in John 14, Don't you believe that I am in my Father? And that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. 
Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And so Jesus is taking up his work for the first time sitting among the teachers. This is the only time, by the way, where we see him sit among the teachers. From then on, at age 33 on, he will teach them. And he will correct them and he will rebuke them. But he's sitting here. You know, what does this mean he's sitting among the teachers? There were several different places of teaching in the temple. Three to be specific. And they were hierarchical. The first was in the court of the Gentiles. And it was a smaller group of people. Not even necessarily religious. Uh, uh, the Sanhedrin, the government, the Sanhedrin, uh, were the ones who were considered the ultimate voice, the ultimate teachers. It's probably run by some Pharisees. But as you went even further into the court of the Israelites, there was the group called the Lesser Sanhedrin that sat. And then there were 23 people, the most, uh, some of the most learned scholars that sat before him. But the full, full, the grand Sanhedrin sat in a sanctuary, even further in the temple. In the room Gazith is what it was called. And this Sanhedrin, they would sit in a semicircular uh, uh, path right here. And there were three rows of people that would sit before them. And they were comprised of 23 people, the most learned people. And they were even hierarchically ordered from who was considered the wisest of the 20, of the whatever, of 23, uh, 46, 69, whatever it is. And so it, it appears from what the scripture is saying about sitting among the teachers or the doctors and the response of the parents that this is the group that he's in. That Jesus is sitting among the teachers, the Sanhedrin and these three rows of people. Now how Jesus has come to sit with them, we have no idea. Day one, he's somewhere in the back just listening. You're not really allowed to speak. And yet somehow Jesus whispers something, communicates something afterwards. That somehow it looks like he ends up in one of those 23 rows, probably the last guy. Where you are permitted to ask questions. And if your wisdom and learning was proving a point, was relevant, was greatly insightful, the doctors or the teachers, the Sanhedrin, could invite you to come and sit with them for the day. And so when he is sitting among the teachers, I would suggest to you that what is happening here is the Sanhedrin in the semicircular has invited Jesus to come and sit with them. And he is speaking among them, asking questions. And they are amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus is taking his position as the teacher of the law, even at age 12. As good Presbyterians, we know uh, question three of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What does the Bible primarily teach? The Bible primarily teaches who God is and how we are to obey him. Who God is and how we are to obey him. And that is why Jesus has come. Jesus' ministry is that he has come to reveal the law. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was God who spoke and brought the law into the existence. 
The one who wrote the law, the one who is the law, is now seated, teaching the law. Jesus is the one who has come to interpret the law. Jesus has come to reveal the law and he has come to reveal truth. John 1.17 says, For the law given through, was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And did, did Jesus not before Pilate say, I've come to testify to the truth. You are right in saying that I'm a king. For this reason I was born. To testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Truth has come into the world. Jesus has said, the truth that I'm communicating to you is this. The one who has spoken all of these things to you. The one who can reveal God to you. The one who is showing you how to live is here among you today. I've come to reveal the law. I've come to reveal the truth. And I've come to reveal the way. Thy word, says the Psalms, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus said, I've come so that those who are in the darkness and are blind can see to release the prisoners from captivity, to show them the way. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. And my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Truth is speaking that day, as Jesus has come to reveal who God is and what God requires of them. See, the truth of the matter, my friends, is we're lost. We need more than a set of directions. We need somebody who can lead us. We need more than simply a written word. We need a living word. We need someone who can come alongside us and show us the way. And so the word became flesh. You know, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things that have, has come about in this new world is GPS. But I love GPS. I was an idiot before GPS. Okay? I was my worst enemy, too ashamed to ask for help, right? And so you'd uh, want to be going somewhere. If you went on a long trip, you'd try to get the AAA maps, you know? But you would invariably get lost. And so you'd go up and you'd stop at the gas station. Hey, we're looking for route so-and-so. He'd scratch for a while his head and he'd go, okay, here's what you do. Go out and take a ride and you're going to go two uh, blocks up. And then you're going to take a left, but when you see the Piggly Wiggly one mile down, you take a right and you'll go over a bridge and then you're there. And you already lost them at take a left out of the gas station, didn't you? And then along comes GPS. So for instance, let's say I wanted to go to Juneau, Alaska. Merely a hop, skip, and a jump, 3,195 miles from here. So I punch in my GPS discovering how long it's going to take me. The route requires tolls, go figure. Two days, 17 hours. This is fantastic. All right, so let's begin. Are you ready? Starting route two, Juno. Head east on Inland View Road. So we need to head east on Lin Inland View Road. So I'm gonna take us all out and we're gonna start walking down. This is amazing that literally I can walk out the door and this thing can direct me all the way across the country. It knows the way. It knows the path. See, up to before Jesus has come into the world, we're like the people asking for directions from the guy in the gas station. 
Nobody ever spoke like Jesus. The religious teachers, this is what we believe this says. Other religions, other people, everybody has advice. And Jesus says, because I am the Son of God, I can show you the way. This is my ministry. Many of us are lost. We're on the road somewhere. You maybe have never heard the voice of the Son of God. And you're trying to figure out how to get somewhere. You don't even know where that somewhere is. Jesus has come to show you salvation. And salvation comes when you recognize who He is and you choose to follow Him. Many of us who are Christians, who are on the path, are in situations where we feel like we're at an impasse. There's been a death in our family. There's tremendous strife. There's sickness. There's something going on. Something's come up against us and we feel utterly lost. It's like you somehow took a wrong turn and you're mired in the mud and you don't know where to go. Christ has come to say, I'm not only going to point you the way, I'm going to lead you there. I'm going to teach you, not just with the words, but with my spirit which lives within you. See, the key question of this passage is simply this, are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to trust? You know, they always walk into the cell, you know, in the movies. I'm from Bump Bump and I'm here to save you. Come with me. And they have a choice. So are we willing to trust his word and walk in his way? You know, all I got from that instruction was simple. Go out and take a left on Old Donation Parkway. Jesus will never give us all of the information. But he will give us the thing that we need to do right then and right now. Even if it's as simple as pray and wait and listen. His ministry is to show us the way because he is the one who is the way. He is God's son. And those who believe in him can be sons and daughters as well. This brings me to my final point. Jesus has shown his identity. He's shown his ministry. And now he shows his destiny. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And now I'm going to go do it. And so at the end it says, And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and he was submissive to his parents. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He was submissive to them. No more shenanigans as far as we can tell. No more identifications. Jesus simply went home and went back into obscurity, if you will. Obeying his parents he showed who he was as God. Now it was time to live as a man. Obedient. As a carpenter. See, Jesus had to live the perfect life as a man if he was going to show the way as the God-man. Jesus had to go through puberty and yet not lust. Jesus needed to have a circle of friends and yet not gossip. Jesus needed to be subjected to the opportunities to cheat and lie and rob and steal and fake and deceive and yet to constantly obey the word. Jesus needed to practice before he could preach. 
And so for these 21 years, in relative obscurity, Jesus was loving the Lord, his God, with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving his neighbor as himself. And as a consequence, he grew in favor with man as they saw him live this righteous life, and with God. How does the Son of God grow in favor with God? In the life he lives as the second Adam, as the man, as the one who had to live like you and me. And as he lived day by day, moment by moment in obedience, he merited for us salvation by his life and by his death. See, his identification was the Son of God. His ministry was to show God and the way to God. And his destiny was to die. The perfect man, a perfect sacrifice. The one who has ascended the hill of the Lord and can stand in the holy place. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. It was 25 years later that Jesus would appear again before this Sanhedrin. Not as a boy, not in an esteemed position, but rather at night, surrounded by lies and trumped-up charges, insulted in the very place that belonged to him. So I close with this question, who is Jesus to you? He's the King of Kings, the Son of God. He speaks the truth, but He's more than simply the truth giver. He's a Savior. If you hear anything from this sermon, hear this. This passage is not, I need more truth in my life. I need to get my act together so I may be granted entrance into this hallowed place. Rather that there is one who has come that gives me the right by his life to become a child of God. See, through Jesus Christ, we can also go into the house of God and say, why did you expect me to be any other place? Didn't you know I would want to and have the right to be in my Father's house? The inheritance of a Christian is we can live without fear. We don't have to be alone. Because like Jesus, us, who have been saved by Christ can say, my Father is with me. Wherever I go, wherever I am, and so I shall not be afraid as I walk in his ways. This is the blessing and the gift. Know his identity. Understand his ministry. And revel in his destiny. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this glimpse, this exclamation point in the first part of your life, Jesus. As you show who you are, Lord, you are no teacher. You are no enlightened prophet. You are God himself. And we thank you, Lord, that you have purchased a place for us, that we can come into the presence of our Holy Father, not as guests, but like we own the place because you are ours and we are yours. We love you. We pray all of these things in Christ's name.